0: We're in Acts chapter 3, and and I have been uh, lately uh, trying to read uh, passages of Scripture that we're going through together in our message series. And part of that is just, you know, uh, Paul's instruction to Timothy said, hey, uh, don't forget the public reading of Scripture. And uh, and I always figure, you know, hey, if the message sucks, at least you heard the Word of God. Uh, So you at least get something out of this. So it's kind of a win-win situation for everybody. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, all the people gathered, he said to them, "'Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus.' You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see." Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God filled what He had fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets." For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your forefathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So we have a a man who is crippled from birth and miraculously he is healed by the name of Jesus Christ. And uh, it starts drawing a crowd. And so we have our second miracle that has occurred uh, in reading the book of Acts, and that has drawn a large crowd. The first was happened at Pentecost, when uh, all the people uh, uh, that were in the upper room began speaking a different language, and uh, heard this great roaring of a wind, and so all the people in the city came to see what was going on. And uh, this time, it's a man who's been made well, his legs, he's walking again, and he's walking and leaping and praising God. And uh, these people have known him all his life, and they're scratching their heads. How's this happen? So Peter steps up once again, and he he wants to give an explanation for what's happened. And the heart of his message, explaining the miracle of this man, is this. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing. Well, when you see this man and what's happened to him, it's definitely that he's been set free from a body that wasn't working. And now he has a body that is working. And, and he is excited. He's ecstatic. He wants to tell everyone. And not only is he running around, he's also praising God for what he has done. And, and it's in this picture, the picture of a miracle of this man and, and the message together is a snapshot it's a snapshot of what our souls are like when we turn to God for forgiveness of our sin we're forgiven and we're set free we're forgiven and set free now I know some people when they think of turning away and turning to God turning away from sin and turning to God they they don't see it that way they see it as something more that they associate with shame with guilt with kind of a a heavy kind of almost like I'm going into slavery. This is like imprisonment to me. You know, instead of a joy like this man experienced. You know, uh, it, was, it was several months ago that we had maybe 30 to 40 people from Highland come up, and they, they told their story on a piece of cardboard. And uh, they told two parts of their story. The first part was on one side, and it was their life before Christ. And then they flipped it over, and on the other side, it was their life after Christ. And so it, it was just this, uh, a short testimony. I mean, it was just a few words on a piece of cardboard. But on the first side of that, what's my life before Christ, there were words like, uh, like um, immoral, greedy, suicidal, bitter, unbelieving. And then when they flipped it over, showing the side of my life after Christ, there were words like clean, uh, generous, alive, joyful, faithful, And this was the testimony of Christ in these people's lives. Now, I know sometimes that people might get scared of public speaking, and so they might appear a little nervous or anything, but these people wanted to do this. They wanted to tell their story what Christ had done in their lives. Now, we had a lot of comments about that Sunday, a lot of people uh, either emailing or talking to folks, and there were a lot of people that just said, wow. God is awesome. He really does set people free. He really does wipe out our sins. And, then, and, and to them, it was kind of like this, this fragrance of life, you know, the smell of grace, you know, and they were like, yeah, I've tasted that too, and it is good. Then there were some others, a few people that said, you know, what I saw there, I, I would love to taste more of that. I would love to experience that kind of grace that, that melts you and, and sets you free. And then there were a few people that said something like this. I can't believe the leaders of that church made those people get up there and confess all their messes in front of everybody. That's horrible. That's that's terrible. And And it's terrifying. And you know what? Those people just didn't quite get it. You know, the testimony of Christ that they saw was like a fragrance of death to them. It was the smell of slavery and imprisonment, maybe, that they recognized. They thought turning to God meant, I'm going to be enslaved. It means guilt. It means shame. That's the impression that they had in their minds and what they got, and they just didn't get it. They didn't understand that when we turn to God, that there's freedom, that there's times of refreshment, that there's forgiveness. You know, a person belonging to Christ looking back on their past that may not be so pretty, when they look back on their past, they don't see shame and guilt anymore. All they see is grace. And it's something that causes them to rejoice and to be glad. And, and they're not afraid to talk about that or bring that out in front of people because it's covered by grace. And it's a testimony to Jesus Christ, what He's done in their life. You know, it's like someone who's just been set free from a crippled body. You know, this is one of the, those contrasts of, of the, between the characteristics of a community on earth and a community that's centered around Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness. There's grace that covers everything. There's a lot of people in this world that need to experience that kind of community where there's grace and there's forgiveness for one another. You know. I mentioned that there's people that have this kind of different view of, of sin, forgiveness, and grace. And it's, it's almost kind of backwards. They feel like that to turn from sin and to turn to God is like going into slavery and imprisonment. And, and maybe in a sense, that is what the world is really like, but not what the new community in Christ is like. You know, the, here's what the Bible describes about our world. It says the world is a prisoner of sin the world is a prisoner of sin, and every person is a slave to whatever has mastery over him or her, whether that be a a person or thing or addiction, and that like a crippled man from birth, we are born into these bodies captive to sin. But for those who turn to God, all that can change. All that can change. With the Lord, there is forgiveness. Whoever believes in Jesus the Son receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It is through the blood of Jesus, which is unlike any other person's blood, is unique that we have forgiveness and redemption. And if we simply turn to God and confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he'll forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's his promise to us. You know what? But something else happens besides forgiveness, besides being washed clean of shame and guilt. You know what else happens? You know, the scriptures say that Jesus comes to set the captive free. We are set free from sin. We're not, we're not imprisoned by it any longer. When we recognize the truth of Jesus' words and we follow them, you know what Jesus says happens? The truth will set you free freedom you know in fact the ancient scriptures tell us it is for freedom that christ set us free it's his whole motive behind it he wants us to experience that freedom you know what and that is another one of the major characteristics of a new community in christ where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom freedom If you haven't tasted of that man you need it and it's so good and I hope you get you get a chance to experience that with a group of people who have tasted of that forgiveness and that freedom now I know sometimes when we talk about what the Bible says about the description of the world sin being enslaved by it being uh, imprisoned by it that you know sometimes we there's some of us that may kind of go, really? When have I ever been enslaved by anything? When has anything had mastery over me? Or, you know, sinner. Man, that's such a harsh word. What, what is that? I'm not sure I like that name. I'm being called that. Well, it may be, it may be that, you know, you're kind of in complete control of your life. Maybe that, that you maybe think of yourself as a decent person. And maybe that's why this all sounds like nonsense. Because you are in utter control of your life and you are thinking of yourself as a decent person. But you know, if God is working today with His unchained Word and by His Spirit, He's going to work to set you free from that utter control and from your decentness. To show you that you're not so in control, and that you're not so decent. You know, the truth is, is sometimes when we're asked that question, well, you know, we kind of think, well, how bad am I? How bad am I? And maybe that's kind of a bad question because, you know, when you ask that type of question, you start, it's a comparison set up, you know? How bad am I? And, And really, the only person that we should compare ourselves to is Jesus Christ. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. But it seems like whenever that question is either posed in our mind by our own little voice in our head or by others, we, we want to we pick and find the most wicked person on earth that we know and compare ourselves to them. How bad am I? Well, I'm not as bad as them. Or, or we want to pick out uh, Hitler. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. Yeah. You know, why, why is it when we're, when we're thinking of that question, we don't pick out Mother Teresa? You know? There's something in our mind that just wants to avoid that, because we know, we know that maybe we aren't so decent, you know, forgiven, forgiven of what some of us might say. What have I done wrong? I haven't really hurt anybody. I haven't killed anybody. Blah blah blah. Well, it's interesting. This crowd that gathered when Peter was explaining this miracle, uh, Peter says to this crowd, says, "You're responsible for the death of Jesus. You put him to death." You recognize how many times he, he said this, and he, he kept throwing this in their face. And, I, and I'm kind of going, what? what? What is this? I mean, you know, these people, yeah, maybe they're, they were the onlookers when Jesus was being led away to execution. Yeah, maybe they were there, but they weren't the government. They weren't the governor Pilate. They weren't the soldiers that were actually nailing him down to the cross. I mean, they weren't the Jewish leaders who were making arrangements and bringing false accusations against Jesus. But yet Jesus, but yet Peter, goes ahead and he lumps this audience in as the murderers of Christ. You know what? The message, the message here contained in Acts is still for us today. And we get lumped into that audience too. Because the truth is, if we would have been there, we would have let him die. We wouldn't have done anything to stop Christ from being crucified. And if we were in the same position as those leaders, we would have mocked him, we would have spit in his face, and we would have hated him. We would have killed him. In truth, there has been some moment in each of our lives where in our hearts we've mocked the author of life and we've hated him. And the message that Peter gives to the audience that day and to the audience here today, he says, repent and turn to God for the forgiveness of your sins and so that times of refreshment might come to you. Now I know sometimes we maybe think of, of repentance as just a one-time thing, but, but really I'm constantly turning to God, turning away from my foolishness, my stupidity and my sin, and turning to Him. It wasn't just a one-time thing when I asked Christ to come into my life and His salvation came to me. Nope, I keep doing it. And I know that uh, maybe, maybe that example that, that Peter gave and what he said that the people were guilty of and, and maybe me sharing that with you, maybe, maybe that's a little bit dramatic, but, but maybe look at Jesus in one of His stories where He spoke and, and shared where kind of humanity falls. And he told it in a story about a, an extravagant father and two sons. Two sons were lost. And we, we've come to know it as, as the prodigal son story. But really, it's not just about a prodigal son. Prodigal means extravagant. It's about a prodigal father and two lost sons. And and the story, you know, probably, you've probably heard from time to time, but, but there are, was one son, a, young, a younger son, who was wild and ambitious, and then there was the older son who was dutiful and calculating. And the younger son did the unthink- unthinkable thing. He asked his dad for his inheritance before he was dead. He said, I want it now. And then the father does the unthinkable thing. He actually gives it to him and he lets him go. And I don't know, maybe some of you have, have dealt with a son or a daughter who's gone through a rebellious period in their time and you've went through the pain of having to let them go and just because there was nothing else to do as a parent. Well, I kind of wonder about this father and what he was going through at the time. But, uh, you know, the, the older son usually got the bulk of the inheritance. The younger son would just get a third or a fourth of the inheritance. So uh, the estate is divided, cashes it. Younger son goes off to a far-off country, spends it in wild living, ends up penniless. The country he's in happens to go through a a recession, depression, and uh, he's without anything. He hires himself out to work for a a pig farmer, which is the worst thing for a a young Jewish guy uh, when you don't eat pork. Uh, It's the worst thing you could do. You are in the pits. Uh, So, you know, Jesus puts this guy in the depths of the depths. And it's here in this moment, that this young man he turns his heart back towards home. And he begins thinking of his father and he realizes that his father is good and that he needs his father. And he starts writing this speech in his head that he's gonna tell his father as he's marching his way back home, leaving this foreign country, going back to his homeland. And he's, he's saying to himself, I'll, I'll tell him I was wrong, I sinned against him, I sinned against God, and I'll ask to come back not as a son, but as a servant. Now he could ask to come back as a slave, you know, slaves, but slaves aren't paid. And so obviously the son has in his mind, I'll come back as a servant, I'll work, and I'm going to make restitution. I'm going to pay back my father for what I lost of his estate. And so he has this plan that he's working in his head. And really what it is, it's his own punishment that he's working out in his brain, in his mind. And, and the scripture says this, and Jesus, as he's telling the story, says that while the son was still a long way off on the horizon, the father saw him. How did the Father see him? Was he out every evening, scanning the horizon, waiting for his son, looking for him? I don't know. But on this particular moment in this story, he sees him in the distance. And uh, different from our Godspell play, where the son ran to the father, the scriptures and what Jesus actually tells us is that the father ran to the son. A very extravagant thing for an older, dignified gentleman. He hiked up his robe, and he began running down the country lane and heading for his son and he swept him up in his arms and he held him and he kissed him. And then the son was, no, 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 dad. Dad, no. And he starts going into his speech that he's rehearsed, his self-punishment that he's going to put on himself. And the father says, stop that nonsense talk. Okay, that's the SIV, Shannon's International Version (laughs) translation. But, But basically it says, enough of that. Bring out my robe, bring out my ring and put it on his finger which basically was saying I'm restoring you as a son you're not a servant, you're not a slave you're coming back and I welcome you back alive as my son and so uh, and then he does even a more extravagant thing, not only does he restore his son back to his place but he throws a party and there's music and dancing and while the music and dancing is going on the older son is out in the fields working and he's on his way back and he hears the music and dancing. Calls a servant and what's going on? And, and obviously, you know, the, the dutiful son, uh, you know, but he's been pretty happy with the situation. Everything that he, he, he works and puts his hand to on his father's land is going to be his. I mean, because the state's already been, been divided. And so he, he's, he's pretty content, pretty happy. The truth is, is that uh, the duty of, of an elder son in a family is to keep the family together. And if he is really a good older brother, he would have gone after his younger brother to keep the family together. That would have been his role. But he didn't. He didn't in this story. And in this story, he hears the news of his brother's return and he gets mad. He gets really mad. And I think the shock of the news is two things. One, he realizes that his, his brother has been restored as a son. The estate's going to be divided again. And then the second thing is that there's a party being thrown. He's not being punished. He's he's done the most stupid thing that a kid could do. and And he comes back and his father restores him and he throws him a party. And he's mad. And so he stays outside. He's not going to go into the feast. He's not going to go in there. And so the father does another extravagant thing. In a Middle Eastern culture where uh, being a host is really a big deal, he leaves the party and he leaves his guests to go out to his son, which is also kind of an undignified thing for him to go to his son instead of the son going to him. So as he goes out, he goes and he pleads with his son, pleads with him to come back. Should have been the other way around. Son pleading to his father. But in this case, this is the story that Jesus is telling. And it's a picture. It's a picture. And the first words that the son says to the father, he doesn't even address him as father. He just says this, Look you, all these years I've been slaving for you. And you don't have to go any further with his words. Right then and there, you know the attitude of his heart. You know the the imprison that his mind has been in. Does he really think that he's been slaving on his father's property? Does he really see himself in prison that way to his father? Does he not see any kind of relationship with his dad? That there is any part of joy of being with him and near him? Doesn't seem like it. And so, despite the father's pleading, the son stays outside. And the story ends with the feast and the party going on and this is a picture the, the feast is a picture of heaven and the younger son who turns away from his sin and turns back to God enters into the feast of heaven and the dutiful calculating son the good guy doesn't enter he stays outside you know it's a sad story But it's also a good story for those of us who maybe see ourselves as a younger son. And I hope that all of us can see ourselves that way. I know that maybe in life, we've played both parts. We've been the dutiful, calculating son or daughter. Or we've been the wild and ambitious one. Go out and doing crazy things. But what I want you to know is that both sons were lost. Both sons were lost. And both sons wanted their dad's stuff but they didn't want their dad and so there needed to be a turning of their hearts turning back to God say I want the relationship God I don't want your stuff and forgive me for my selfish heart and just desiring the stuff of God instead of desiring just you God Well, Nate, guys, I need you to come on up here. It's time to wrap things up. But this is a story of two sons and one extravagant father. Both sons were estranged. But one son, the dutiful one, the good guy, remains, remains dutiful, but his heart is far from his father. And in the end, he turns away from the father. The other son, the younger son, does crazy things, does a lot of stupid sin, but then he turns away from it and turns and returns back to his father. And you know what? That your son, he doesn't receive punishment. Not even the self-punishment that he was planning for himself. His father says none of that. Instead, he finds forgiveness and freedom. You've been restored as a son and as a daughter that's what you have you don't have to punish yourself you don't have to beat yourself because Jesus already took the beating for you you've been set free you're forgiven it is for freedom that Christ has set you free folks and if you haven't tasted of that forgiveness and that freedom I want you to know that turning to God is a good thing It's not a bad thing filled with shame and guilt and slavery-type thoughts. It's freedom. Forgiveness and freedom. If you've never tasted it, I hope you'll want a taste of it today. And if you have tasted it, I hope that you'll just stay reveling in it and just enjoying the freedom that Christ has given you. This morning, uh, the guys are going to play a song, and as as they do that, I just wanna have a moment for us to be able to respond to the word of God and respond to his heart that says, turn to me, turn to me. Turn away from the, the selfishness, the sin, those toys and the stuff of earth and turn to me. And like I said, I know that there's times where we do that many times in our lives. But if you're here today and you've never done that before, you've never turned to God and said, forgive me Lord, wash away my sin, come into my life. I'd really like to pray with you. And so I'm going to stand right over here. And and this is one of those moments where we we just don't do something in our heart and mind, but we actually show it with our bodies. We're going to say, yes, I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to do this. And so I want to invite you just to come up here and stand with me over on this side. And if you're someone here and you're just saying, you know what? I just need to say to God again, Lord, forgive me. I just need to repent. I need to turn to you. And you just need some time between you and God. No interruptions. That's great. You can can come over here and do that. And nobody will pray with you. Nobody will interrupt you. Just be you and God as the worship music continues. All right? But if you would like somebody to pray with you, I'm going to be right over here. All right? So let's stand together. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. And we're going to respond to what God has said.